Hello and welcome to this all-new episode of Poetry Spoken Here. I am producer and technical director Jack Rossiter-Munley. Before we get into the episode, a quick note that Poetry Spoken Here is produced by Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated, a digital media company making podcasts about poetry, literature, and cultural history. You can find out more about Cardboard Box Productions and all of the shows it produces at CardboardBoxProductionsInc.com. You can also subscribe to the Cardboard Box Productions newsletter, Unboxed, which has updates about all the different Cardboard Box Productions podcasts, recommendations for reading, watching, and listening from different members of the Cardboard Box Productions team, and behind-the-scenes updates on some of the series that we currently have in development. Today on Poetry Spoken Here, we are featuring another reading from the Unamuno Author Festival. In May of 2019, I traveled to Madrid, Spain to record the readings from that festival, including the one you're about to hear, by Padraig Otalma. Otalma is a poet and a theologian. He presents Poetry Unbound as part of On Being Studios and has been dedicated to the cause of peace and reconciliation. He was even the head of Ireland's oldest peace and reconciliation community for five years. His background as a public speaker and broadcaster comes through in this reading, as do his interests in religion, conflict, connection, community, and healing. The Unamuno Festival was a week-long poetry celebration that took place in many different venues across the city. If you've listened to some of our previous recordings from the festival, you've heard a lot of them mentioned. The hub of all of the festival's activities, though, its beating literary heart, was Desperate Literature, a small independent bookstore, and this reading was recorded there. Uh, Good evening, everybody. Uh, Thank you for uh, the extraordinary invitation to be here. Thank you to the organizers of the Unamuno Festival. Thank you to Spencer Fest for organizing all of this together, Um, and thank you for the Cathedral of Great Thinking here in Desperate Literature. It's a joy to be here. Um, I uh, have, for the last 20 years, worked in conflict resolution in Belfast, and I suppose that uh, studies in religion and studies in conflict have all required me to pay attention to simple language, how it is that simple language might be something that might uh, help us to live and help us to survive, as well as help us to tear ourselves apart. So uh, one time I was in a room full of people, all of whom were members of different paramilitary organizations, all of whom had um, killed somebody, and they had a significant argument as to how to conjugate a sentence where you spoke about the end of a life um, where you were involved in it. Some people said, I killed somebody. Some people said, I took a life. Somebody else used what in Irish we call um, the the unaffiliated verb by saying, a life ended. And so um, there's a small poem uh, from that called, and somebody else said, I didn't kill anybody, only legitimate targets. And so a small poem came from that called The Pedagogy of Conflict. When I was a child, I learned to count to five. One, two, three, four, five. But these days, I've been counting lives. So I count one life, One life, one life, one life, one life. 
because each time is the first time that that life has been taken. Legitimate target has 16 letters and one long abominable space between two dehumanizing words. Um, <coughs> I think I used to think that language needed to resolve itself into gentleness and spending 20 years working in conflict, um, I'm not so sure anymore. I think sometimes I take great comfort in seeing language evolve itself into something that's true, whether that's comforting or not. If language can speak back to us and make us a citizen of the life in which we live, sometimes it is doing its own salvific project. So here's a little poem called Make Believe. Make Believe. And on the first day, God made something up. Then everything came along. Seconds, sex, and beasts, and breaths, and rabies. Hunger, healing, lust, and lust's rejections. Swarming things that swarm inside the dirt. Girth, and grind, and grit, and shit, and all shit's functions. Rings inside the tree trunk and branches broken by the snow. Pig's hearts and stars. Mystery, suspense, and stingrays, insects, blood, and interests, and death. Eventually, us, with all our viruses, laments, and curiosities, all our songs and made-up stories, and our songs about the so stories we've forgotten, and all that we've forgotten we've forgotten. And to hold it all together, God made time, and all those rhyming seasons that display decay. Here's a poem that follows on from that. It's called The First Fight. The First Fight. Afterwards, Adam wandered round naming things. Mountain, he said, covered in sweat from a day's hike. Then earthquake, watching forests fall beneath the earth's shifting plates. And breeze, cooling down. God arrived unnoticed. Pathological avoidance, God said, and Adam turned around. Who invited you? Eve sent me, God replied. She's naming all the things that are underneath the earth, things that will cause the rising and the falling of many other things. Adam sat down and began to cry. Tears, he said, and rage and frustration at all I felt and couldn't say, and shut up, God said. And Adam turned around, and God was gone. Um, <clears throat> I've been thinking a lot about the past. And uh, it depends, really, as to whether you're from a colonizing country, as to whether you think the past is the past or not. Um, <laughs> I find it funny sometimes when people say things to me about the past. I was in England recently, and somebody said to me, I, re I referenced the partition of Ireland, and they said, oh, God, that's a long time ago. And I said, really? I just got a little letter this week from my insurance company. Because of Brexit, I need a new um, green card to drive across the border. Partition is not a long time ago if your country's been partitioned. So here's a poem called, looks like it's called the Potato Famine, but potatoes crossed out. Because we never call it the Potato Famine, because it was a policy famine. No famine is purely natural. Um, my granddad's granddad was the only one in his whole family who made it. He was 11. Everybody else died. There was a potato blight in Ireland. 
but there was food enough to feed us um, being transported out of Ireland the whole time, mostly by starving people. So here is a little um, villanelle called the famine. My father likes his spuds piled high upon his plate. My mother likes her peace and her diet magazines. My great-great-granddad was the only one who made it. At the heart of every famine is the scheming of the state to bring a people to their knees for the state's convenience. My father likes his spuds piled high upon his plate. On the phone, an English woman says the Irish are fixated with our stories of the past in a way that's quite obscene, but my great-great-granddad was the only one who made it. My auntie moved to England and learned how to translate between the way a people are and the way their history is seen. My father likes his spuds piled high upon his plate. There are proteins in our grass from forgotten famine graves. Some families fed on rotten grass and, my mother tells me, my granddad's granddad was the only one who made it. Memory has a way of being passed on through DNA, and so the story of today rhymes with the 1840s. My father likes his spuds piled high upon his plate because my great-great-granddad was the only one who made it. Um, part of the reason, I think, why I'm thinking about time with this new book is um, uh, 25 years ago I was put through uh, three public exorcisms to get rid of the demon of homosexuality in me. I'm happy to let you know that those were unsuccessful oh, public exorcisms. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Alive and well. <laughs> um, it, it's interesting. I've thought about those um, terrifying and humiliating experiences for 25 years. I, I, when those were deemed to be unsuccessful, I was put through two years of um, so-called reparative therapy. That was neither therapeutic nor reparative. And I've written a sequence called Seven Deadly Sonnets, only some of which I'll depress you with. Um, one of them is the one that Jorge translated into Spanish, so I'll read it, and then uh, Jorge will read it in Spanish. It's after um, Shakespeare's sonnet 130, the sonnet that says, My mistress's eyes are nothing like the sun. And this sonnet is called Volta. My exerciser's eyes were nothing like the sun. They had no fire. If twisted be the language bad priests speak, his tongue was like a lyre, sweeter than the Eucharist. If hate be harsh, why then his actions felt more tender than a father's. I have heard the furious from the pulpit. His work was quiet as abuse. I loved the promises he made. They wound around my heart with knots of wonder. I have heard of charlatans who charge. I swear he would have paid me for my custom. His rates were reasonable and his burden subtle. Some terrorize. He Christianized. And yet, by Christ, I swear, his heaven rhymed with hell. But he'll claw his way to glory. Me as well. Volta. Los ojos de mi exorcista no eran nada como el sol, no tenían fuego. Si perverso ha de ser el lenguaje de los malos sacerdotes, su lengua era como una lira, más dulce que la Eucaristía. Si el odio ha de ser severo, porque sus acciones parecían más tiernas que las de un padre. 
He oído al furioso desde el púlpito, su trabajo silencioso como maltrato. Amé las promesas que hizo, hirieron mi corazón con nudos de asombro. He oído a los charlatanes que cobran, juro que él me habría pagado por mi compra. Sus tarifas eran razonables y su carga tan sutil. Unos intimidan, él cristianizó, y aún por Cristo juro que su cielo rimaba con infierno, pero él rasguñaría su camino a la gloria, al igual que yo. Uh, I turned to form to write those seven deadly sonnets, and one of the things that the form of sonnet wouldn't let me do was to assert that I don't have a devil in me. They kept on saying back to me, oh, you bloody well do. So um, here's another poem. It's not a sonnet. It's called Monster. Um, in uh, the book of Leviticus, it says, a man shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. They shall be put to death. And the Irish word for abomination is aduafrucht. And it comes from an old word, adua, which is the name of the primal monster. And so I found myself thinking about the the personality present in this idea in the Irish language of um, abomination. And I uh, formed a little bit of a friendship with a particular monster. And he arrived one day. This poem, fairly unusual for me, has seen pretty much no editing. Um, this monster arrived and had a lot to say about um, places of religion. So here's a poem called Monster. I'm, I'm very glad I'm not reading this in a cathedral because I'd feel the need to give a blasphemy warning, but um, that's okay because I'm standing by the erotic section, so we're grand. <laughs> Monster. I twisted prayers and shat on grace. I shunned the bread and wine and laced the Eucharist with fury. I farted as I genuflected, expelling what my gut rejected. I lifted up my eyes. Will any recognize my sacred perfidy? Will any listen to this air, this crooked samadhi? I licked the clay-made feet of saints, scratched my name upon their faces with my sharpened nails. I broke the rails. I prowled around the altar. I opened up the holy box, spat into the golden space it offered. Of course he didn't care. Once I said he says he's glad when devils turn to prayer and accusation. I think he wondered where I hid. So see me now, you fucker. Here's my chance to lift the lid on all you never said or did. You made me, so I stare you down. You chained me, so I charge you now. You shamed me, I bear witness now. I moon the crucifixion, dropping knickers round my combat boots. My tutu and my vest are bulletproof. I know that people stare. I rip my nipples from my hairy chest as a milkless offering. I tune my radio to noise. I turn the volume loud. I try to drown out all the voices from the lips I didn't kiss, from the horns I didn't break, from the hides I didn't take for want of purity. I take a piss to bless the ground. I open wide the doors. I growl God down. Um, I uh, don't have much time for horoscopes, uh, but here's a poem about a horoscope. Uh, it's called Entertaining Angels. This is the last poem. Thank you very much again to the organizers for the wonderful opportunity to come here. Thank you to all of you for coming to listen. Entertaining Angels. He counted me 
calculating sums with the numbers of my birth date on his phone, told me I was unusual, told me something about my conflict and my rage, something about my need to make things out of nothing, something about how now is no time for making decisions, Mercury rising, listen said I was all rage and rest, and if I keep hating myself, I'll just end up as hate myself. And I usually believe that horoscopes are hollow, good for nothing, but all night I kept reciting his insightful lines. And all morning I couldn't wipe my smile, because after he said, you're terrible at taking truths, even though you're good at telling them, he laughed at everything he said winked, called me bro, rolled over, said, now let's remove some clothes. Thank you very much. Hey, this is Jack again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Poetry Spoken Here. Though you did not hear him today, Poetry Spoken Here is hosted by Charlie Rossiter and produced by me, Jack Rossiter Bunley. Today's episode was edited by Cardboard Box Productions, Inc. associate producer, Laura Wise. You can find out more about Poetry Spoken Here at PoetrySpokenHere.com and more about Cardboard Box Productions, Inc. at CardboardBoxProductionsInc.com. Be sure to like Poetry Spoken Here on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Poetry Spoken Here and follow us on Twitter. We are at Posey Spoken Here. And if you want to get in touch, you can always send an email to poetryspokenhere at gmail.com. To submit to our ongoing Open Mic of the Air series, send a recording, five minutes or less, of yourself reading one of your poems to openmicoftheair at gmail.com. And as always, be sure to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. <laughs>